There is a photograph of me in those first days in Argentina hugging a street post with a huge smile on my face. The sign, the street name above me says Uruguay. And there's an arrow pointing ahead. There you It's fate. It's fate. This is the Final Call for The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 436. While Uruguay might be a small country, it's roughly the size of Nebraska. What it doesn't have is a small amount of cows. In fact, Uruguay has four cows for every person, making it the highest per capita in the world for the number of cows. And more cows equals more ranches. And that's one of the four best things about Uruguay. You're going to find out the other three today. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who used to sing 60s covers in a psychedelic rock bar in Costa Rica, whose hometown is roughly 8,000 miles from where she now lives, and who is the only Uruguay guidebook author who actually lives there, Karen Higgs from Guruguay.com. Karen, thanks for joining me and a huge welcome. I was so excited to hear what you were going to pick out of my bio. <laughs> were those good? Were those those I are some of life highlights there, right? I, I love that. Yes. I mean, I think you're probably the only person I've ever introduced that's sung 60s covers in a psychedelic rock bar in Costa Rica. Well, the only one whose intro involved that, I'm sure other guests have done it because who hasn't, right? Exactly. I mean, that's kind of par for the course if you're a traveler. I want to start out because we're talking about one of my favorite countries in the world, but somewhere I've never been. So little known fact, or maybe not that little known if you used to follow our site way back in the day. Karen, I said that my two favorite countries in the world were Slovenia and Uruguay, but I had never been to either one. I've now been to Slovenia, but I haven't been to Uruguay. So I am very excited to chat with you. I'm, I'm totally shocked. What, why Uruguay? Can I ask you? I, so I think just when I started traveling, I looked at a map and was like... <laughs> no, I'm like, whoa, I'm taking yeah, it back Well, you. I was kind of like... The entire where? nation is going to be taken aback. <laughs> there you go. It, I looked at a map and I just remember thinking, like, where are the hidden gems? You know, everyone wants to find hidden gems when they travel. And so, oh, Brazil, Argentina. And I remember, I, and I liked soccer slash football. And, uh, oh, you know, okay. great colors. Now, now I'm understanding more. Yeah, now great colors. The light blue... I like Diego Forlan. And so I just remember thinking like, that would be a cool country to go because everyone goes to Argentina. Everyone goes to Brazil. I want to go there. And Slovenia, same kind of thing. This tiny country tucked in amongst kind what you would call like tourist powerhouses of Italy and stuff like that. And uh, 
Yeah, I just so for me, it was like those were the two that I just I thought these are going to be it and uh, have been. To so Slovenia. how come you haven't made it yet? Then oh, that is a good question. Well, uh, to yeah, to give you a little bit of background, my wife and I have wanted to come to South America for quite a while. So let's say five, six years where we've really been like South America, let's go. We've still never touched the continent. Um, oh wow! One of the reasons was we are not naturally very cautious people. But because we were trying to have kids um, and Zika was happening and all that kind of stuff, especially down in Brazil, we kind of thought, well, we can put it off Like if we don't have to go. And I know Uruguay was not a Zika hotbed, but of course, if we go there, we wanted to go to Argentina, Brazil. So we kind of just kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. Um, and now we're recording during COVID time. So if you're listening in the future, hopefully you're out of it uh, by then. But yeah, now, of course, as an American, I can't really go there. So, well, I would have, if you had spoken to me five or six years ago, then I would have said to you that you have to come anyway for your entire vacations to Uruguay because there's so much to do. And enough of people thinking that it's a side trip from Argentina or Brazil. Okay, so there you go. I would have said that immediately. And I also would have said to you that, you know, Zika, there were zero cases here and that Uruguay has great public health policies. And in fact, right now, we are kind of like one of these star countries in Latin America regarding the virus. So. Yeah, I've seen that. All right. Yeah, well, I'm sold. Yeah. I'm sold. Now we just got to <laughs> now we have to sell your government on allowing Americans or maybe someone could get me an exemption. I know you've got some pull over there. Uh, you know, we can <laughs> well, for that. work for work purposes. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> we have to record the podcast, the second part in person, right? We just have to. So there you for, go. for work purposes. All right, let's get into then. The the pronunciation, right? Because this, I mean, when I growing up, I always heard like, Ur, I can't even do, what do they say? Uruguay? Yeah, I always say like, Uruguay, Uruguay, Uruguay. And then I was listening to, to football matches and it was like, Uruguay. So what what is the way to actually pronounce your country's name? Okay, well, it's, I think actually it's really simple. If you look at, if you think of, um, my site is called guruguay.com because the joke is that I'm the guru of Uruguay. That makes it easy, I think, because it's guru, knock off the G, Uruguay. Uruguay. Nice. And then, yeah, Uruguay. And then you're never going to make a mistake again. There you go. And they'll never mistake your going to your site because it's guruguay. There you go. There you go. And also, the thing that really riles Uruguayans up is getting mistaken for Paraguay. <laughs> okay, yes. Okay. So I it avoids that. people mistaking Uruguay and Paraguay. Well. Yeah, there you go. And Paraguay, no coastline, right? I'm I'm correct in that. That's a you are a big coast person, I and I was thinking you are going to love Uruguay because, like, over half of our country is coastline. Yep. So well, okay, yeah. let let's talk about a little differences because you brought up Paraguay and Uruguay. Let's. Talk, I mean. They get lumped together because their names are similar, and people and it's, it's like Costa Rica and Puerto Rico, yeah. right? And I lived in Costa Rica, and they used to bitch about the same thing. <laughs> and then they're like fairly small, not as well known. Like no one's, everyone knows Brazil, like we talked about. Everyone knows Argentina. People are starting to know Chile, right? Like they're they're just bigger countries, more people, more travelers, more stuff going on when it comes to to you know world politics, stuff like that. So let's talk about Uruguay and the difference between that and Paraguay. And are, are they similar at all? Let, let's start with that. 
Um, well, first of all, I'll confess I've never been to Paraguay. But I am an informed person and I know people that have lived and worked in Paraguay. So I would say to you, they are probably completely different countries on all sorts of levels, like development and equality and climate and everything. So just the names are similar. Yeah, and because Paraguay's <laughs> like pretty high elevation, I believe. Obviously, no coastline in the interior of the continent. All right, so Paraguay, Uruguay, not very similar. Now, we'll just keep playing this game. Uruguay and Brazil. Similarities, differences, because I, yeah, that's the neighbor to the north. So give us that little breakdown. Well, Uruguayans love Brazilians. They love Brazilians. I mean, Brazilians are probably everything that Uruguayans think that they aren't. <laughs> so they are, you know, they're joyous and they love to dance and uh, they're, they're exuberant. Everything is exuberant about Brazil, the beaches, etc. And Uruguay, the Uruguayans like to define themselves as low profile. Hmm. Okay. And so I'm going to anticipate your next question. And why do they define themselves as low profile? Well, there are historical reasons. Uh, the immigrants that came here from Europe were from um, Spain and Italy and from quite um, part, part, parts that had been suffering a lot. And so they are quite, they're the kind of like the, maybe the, the dour <laughs> Spanish and Italians, the ones that had seen a hard life. They weren't the party folk. And so if we compare to Argentina, Argentinians also receive population, um, immigrants from the same areas, but they are, Uruguayans would say, I mean, God, Argentinians are going to be really annoyed with me, but they're full of themselves. <laughs> okay. And so they're super loud and they're always the best at everything. So they think, actually, I lived in Argentina. I'm married to an Argentinian, like before anybody. Um, yeah, throws you under me. the bus too much. You, you, you got an insider peek here. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, when I lived in Argentina and people found out that I was a foreigner, they'd say to me, what do people say about Argentina, where you come from? And I would like be thinking, I hate to say, but nobody ever asked me that question before. Whereas in Uruguay, the first, you know, people would say, have they heard of us? Mm. And Big then if they difference. have, they'll be like, oh, wow. And they'll be really, they'll, they'll love it. They'll be so appreciative about that. In fact, the hashtag during um, one of the World Cups was Orgi Humildad which means it's like a pride slash humility. That was like the hashtag to follow the football team, right? I think that tells you a lot about Uruguay compared to our big neighbors. Totally, totally. And that's a great, I love hearing that because that's something someone would only kind of get, not, not traveling through. You know, you might, you might pick it up here and there, but you have immersed yourself in that country so much that now you're able to say, this is the actual dynamics, like from years of watching this, seeing this, talking to people on both sides of of the borders, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's really neat to say, all right, love Brazilians, but, you know, Paraguayans or Paraguay, they just have this like weird relationship with uh, kind of because it's like we're not anything alike, but our names are similar. And then Argentina's, is it like a little brother, big brother 
kind of dynamic oh, so or do Uruguayans just kind of say like we don't even really care they just fool themselves like oh, let them no, think what no, they want no 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 they they yeah no it totally is and okay. it, yeah it totally is and, and then, <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was just thinking i mean because argentinians maybe it's not little brother big brother because the big brother in this case doesn't realize that the little brother like Exists. kind of yeah, <laughs> yeah feels a little um What's the word? Triggered. <laughs> and so, um, you know, they're like, they love Uruguay. They come here on holiday. In fact, you know, the major tourism here, Uruguay is a travel center for Argentina for the last 100 years. Argentinians have been loving to come to Uruguay for the beaches and the proximity. And Brazilians come a lot now because of the, for them, it's a, you know, it's a safe country. They love to be able to come here and, and wear all their, their bling and things and, and to feel safe about, about walking around with it. But yeah, no, there's that totally that, that feeling. And, but Argentinians have no idea. And so they're like, oh, you know, we, we just love Uruguay. They're just like us. And the Uruguayans are like gritting their teeth going, no, we're not. We're totally different. And I think so much of Uruguay in that case then has been premised on that. You know, we're going to be better than our neighbors and but without thinking of it that way kind of like we're going to do things differently right like not not like better than them to kind of like shove it in their face but just like hey we see what they're doing we're smaller we're kind of more flexible as a country right it's like you know in business they talk about lean startups but like this is like hey we're a small country we can kind of shape stuff a little easier so we're going to take what they do and just try to make it better or, or make it more in line no, with what I, we want. I, I, think, I think they think we're not going to do anything like they've done. Hmm. And the, the interesting thing is that Uruguayan culture has been really, really defined. It's very progressive. Uh, in fact, a lot of the policies here, despite the fact that the, the political parties that have put them into effect would say that they are, um, would say that people outside would say that they're socialists. You know, it's a very progressive society here and has been so for the last 150 years. Uruguay is a total outlier where Latin America is concerned. We've had like when I first came here um, or before I came, actually, uh, I sat down when we were deciding to come and live here. We were we were we were coming. We were living in D.C. for four years and we had a little son. And we were thinking, you know, we had arrived in D.C. when he was smaller. It hadn't been our plan to stay, but things went really well and we unexpectedly loved it. And so we said, well, you know, we turn around and suddenly our son has got this little North American accent. And we and he's about we're like having to think about primary school. And we're like, hey, we did not think that we were going to come here. And then our son was going to grow up here and, consequently, he's going to, you know, we're going to have to stay here because it's going to be his environment. And we're like, you know, hey, we, we don't really, um, you know, we don't really want that for him. We want certain values that we felt that in an Anglo-Saxon culture, there aren't. And that in a Latin American culture, there are like values of friendship and, and uh, family. And, uh, and so that was one of the reasons that, you know, when Uruguay came on the radar, that we looked at it. But the first Uruguayan that um, I talked to seriously thinking about this, she said to me, well, hey, you're going to notice that 
in Uruguay, on, in general, it's a really educated population because there has been free compulsory primary school education for the last 150 years. And so that has its consequences. But there was an amazing um, uh, president in uh, the late 1800s until about 1930. And his name was Bache. Bache was his name. And he was a thinker that you, it's difficult. I think we always think, right, that we are at the edge of thinking, that we are the vanguard. But these guys were the vanguard and nowadays they would have been the vanguard. And he was responsible for Uruguay being such an egalitarian society. Um, I'm just having a look because I just I wrote a paragraph about him uh, or a, a, a section about him in my book. And he he's just amazing. He was a journalist. He was from a wealthy political family. And um, but like many of the elite at the time, he rejected the church. And so he uh, said that there's got to be complete separation of church and state in Uruguay. Like he lived in sin with his partner, for example. <laughs> and um, so and what he did was he was seeing the problems that um, there were in Europe because of the unfettered excesses of the Industrial Revolution. And so Baja said, look, we've got to learn from this. Yeah, there's let's have progress, but let's make it more harmonious for the workers. And so they nationalized a lot of industries. I mean, some people can be for that and against that, but that was something that's been very much part. Even today, all of the public utilities in Uruguay are nationalized and people vote to keep them nationalized. There are referendums and people still carry on voting for that. And so, um, but he set up things like, for example, um, uh, the eight hour day. There was an eight hour work day from 1915. And there were, there were, it was a time of immigration coming from, from Spain. And so Bajes said, you know, that he welcomed anarchists who were the terrorists of the day, who were fleeing Europe as long as they came peacefully. And he said, okay, you can come, but you've got to be peaceful and you've got to train the workers in their rights. Wow. So he took something that, that was seen as a negative, obviously, like, hey, these people are, yeah, anarchists, terrorists, whatever. No, their ideas are fine. Maybe they're going about it the wrong way because they're revolting against a system that they don't agree with. But if we bring them here and we allow them to create the system, all of a sudden we have something that's revolutionary compared to, to other places. Or to, 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 to in integrate their values sure. without changing things. Yeah. Right? And you said no, he, served, so he served for from the late 1800s to 1930s. No. Like he, okay. No, no, he was actually, um, he created a movement Okay. That, that was in effect. No, no, he was so egalitarian that actually at one point he actually like said, you know, there shouldn't be a president any longer and we should have a council and stuff. No, no, he was, he was an amazing. And he has really been responsible for um, creating the society that you have in Uruguay. He backed universal voting regardless of age and race, for example. So when white men got the vote, black men did as well. There was no discrimination there. 
Yeah. And women got the vote from 1917, which was way ahead of so many other countries in the world. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's pretty special on that from that point of view. When you first started looking into Uruguay, like, all right. So what first got you and when was it that you started saying, hey, maybe maybe we'll go and make a life here? Like, again, no. because it's like, where, when was that? You're in D.C., and you started kind of looking at but like what time period was it and and why no and it was it wasn't actually on my radar at all we wanted to get back to south america and my husband's argentinian so we assumed it was going to be there but i was not very convinced because there's a certain what i would characterize as a careless um element that pervades argentinian society that filters into all sorts of areas um in to, uh, to the way that people drive, for example. And I didn't want to live in a society like that. I'd lived there for four years. It was great. I loved it. But I was going back with a family. And for me, you know, I had different priorities. Well, when you first you first started looking in the Uruguay a little bit and you were talking to people, but like what brought no, you so down I wasn't, there? I wasn't, so I wasn't looking into Uruguay as much as Uruguay found me. Okay, because all right. We was we were saying let's. Um, okay, so whoever wants to take us back to South America, like we, both of us started looking for a job, me and my husband, and whoever gets the job first to take us back to South America, well, you know, great, that's where we go. And so I landed a job, and the company said to me. I'm applying for it because they had a branch in Argentina and they said to me, would you consider Uruguay? And I said, that's interesting. And so we, cause we knew Uruguay living in Argentina. It's a very popular long weekend destination. And so we'd gone there. We thought it was really nice, but I mean, I never thought about, about living there ever. The funniest thing was is that after moving there, we, we came here in 2000, so 20 years ago now. After moving there, here, a friend of mine found a photograph from 1992 when we moved to Argentina. She came to meet us at the airport because we'd been living, my husband and I met in Costa Rica where I was singing in the band. Well, naturally, he scooped you up <laughs> after that, right? Of Totally. He was actually my manager that got me that gig there. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. There's love in rock and roll. There's love in rock there, and roll. There you go. But um, from Costa Rica, uh, I've t you know, we went to visit Argentina because he wanted to show me his country. And I was blown away by Buenos Aires. You know, I imagine I was in my, you know, early mid 20s at that point. I was like, oh, my God, I totally want to come and live here. So, um. When we went to live there, a friend of ours came to meet us at the airport and she stayed with us for a few days and took a bunch of photos. After we'd been in Uruguay for a few years, so 10 years later, fast forward, 10 years later, we've been in Uruguay for a few years. Our friend goes to her mum's and finds all these old photos and she scans some of them and she sends them and she said, oh my God, you will not believe this. And there's a photograph of me in those first days in Argentina, eight years before arriving to Uruguay, seven years before even having it on my radar, really. <laughs> Let me tell you, there are 14,000 streets with 14,000 different street names in Buenos Aires. There is a photograph of me in those first days in Argentina 
hugging a street post with a huge smile on my face. The sign, the street name above me says Uruguay. And there's an arrow pointing ahead. There you, it's fate. It's fate. That, I mean, that's why you ended there. So that that's incredible. And it is, I think it goes to show this hidden gem quality, right? That even though you said, hey, this is a cool country, like it's right next to her. I lived in Argentina. It's fun. I'm not, you know, I never would consider it 20 years later, you've lived there for 20 years. So let's unpack that a little bit because then you moved there because of this job. How quickly did you know that you wanted to stay there? Or, or, or has it just been a slow, like... Well, I always say to people that I think that it's sensible if you're going to move, a, move to a country and you're thinking it's going to be for a significant period of time, I think you should go and visit beforehand. I think that's sensible if you have the means. And so I actually came, once I was uh, offered the job, I came for two weeks by myself um, to check out the country thinking, was it going to be a good place for us? It was August, which for us is winter time. It was felt freezing most of the time. The temperatures here don't get very low, but we have high humidity. So the cold feels really cold. Um, and so it was freezing, but I just remember, I just fell in love immediately. I just fell in love right then and there. It was like the blue skies, despite the fact that it was winter, the Rambler in Montevideo, we have a huge long boardwalk. It stretches for 15 miles. It's actually the longest in the world, but because Uruguayans are low profile, they've never told you about it. Ooh. And it's all along the water. Oh, we got right? a little secret. All right. I like that. There, little there secret trivia. There you go. And so, you know, just like walking along that, walking through the neighborhoods, and there's tons of Art Deco um, architecture here. Architecture experts have told me that what's interesting about Uruguay is that is the quantity, but also it's not just in one neighborhood. It's like all over mm, the city. Gotcha. Yeah, it's not po it's not like a pocket of something. It just it, yeah. it, it enveloped the whole yeah the whole vibe of the city. The whole yeah the well, whole scene. Well, app apparently it's it's like after New York, it's the city with most Art Deco architecture. Uh, I mean, you see those two cities next to each other a lot, right? In lists, New York City and Montevideo, they're always like one, two, <laughs> yeah, like right? All <laughs> yeah, all the time. <laughs> Sister cities right there. So, so you <laughs> fell in love right away. And I, no, I, so I, fe I fell away, fell, fell in love right away. And literally like for, for the first um, decade that I was living in Uruguay, I had to travel a lot. Um, and so internationally. And so I thought that maybe my love had something to do with the fact that, you know, I was getting a chance to get a breath of fresh air and then come back. But after I, um, you know, basically ended up, I, I finished with that job and just was living here. I just, you know, it's just, it's a place that I feel super, super comfortable in. I feel like I've, I've found the place that is home. Now, people here in Uruguay, they always say to me, oh, you've been here for 20 years. You know, you're just one of us now. And I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, I definitely feel, and to be honest, I don't know what it is. I think it's a psychological thing, but I have a stronger foreign accent in Spanish now than I ever did when I lived in Buenos Aires. In Buenos Aires, I could kind of get by. 
But nowadays, you know, like I open my mouth, I say one word and the taxi driver's like, oh, you're not from here. Where are you from? I'm like, the, I, re I retort with the name of the neighborhood that I live in. And they just like, they're like, ah, ha, ha. And I'm like, I've been here for 20 years. But no, but I mean, for me professionally now, it's important to keep that, that outsider's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, um, cause you're writing for. Like you're giving an inside look, but ultimately still writing for people who are coming to travel there, not people who are like, who are going to live there. Now, I'm sure when I ultimately come there and decide that, of course, I want to live there as well, you can help me out there. But it is ultimately for travelers, even if they are longer term travelers. And I do want to get into like itineraries. We'll put a few of those together. But I, I you hit on a cool, cool point here. When you tell, when you're in Montevideo and people are like, where are you from? And, and you tell them the neighborhood. What about the flip side when you're talking to like, let's say you are traveling, maybe you're back in your hometown or, or you're just talking to a random person who doesn't know where you live. Maybe it's virtual. And you say, hey, I live in Uruguay. Like, what, what is the reaction from people? Not Uruguay, not people who live there, but people who don't know where you're from. And, and you say, yeah, I live in Uruguay. I've been there for 20 years. Like, what do they think? Like, what's what's someone's first impression? Or is it just a blank stare of, I have no idea where that is? Yeah, I normally say Uruguay in South America. <laughs> okay, that explains it all. Yeah, they, okay. Uh, you know Brazil? I mean, just go south of that. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's helpful to, to say that. But of course, I don't like to fall into that trap of us being the small quote sure. unquote, because actually we're a huge country, but we have a very small population. But we are, I mean, I, I don't know where I, God, I can't remember now, but we are a pretty big country. We are bigger than most European countries. Mm. Um, I, I'm with but, you. Yeah, I don't have, like that because when I was living in I Japan. I don't like to do that comparison. S same but, thing. You know, I'm living in Japan. People, I'm like Philadelphia and then they think cream cheese. But then when I tell them hey, that cream cheese is not even made in Philadelphia, I don't know why that name, it's named that. But they're like, well, where is it? And I would say two and a half hours south of New York City, three hours north of D.C., and they'd be like, oh, yeah, but, you know, you kind of felt like, no, my hometown is better than that. Like, it's not just from here. Of course, you know, if you're talking to people who have no idea, you can give them those references, but it always did feel like a bit of a, a little bit of a cop-out. Like, all right, I'm totally. not just between D.C. and New York City. When I'm driving on 95, I just did it. Driving up from North Carolina, I just did it. You hit D.C. and all the signs are for D.C. And as soon as you get past D.C. and Baltimore, all the signs are for New York. And I'm like, you know, the sixth biggest city in America is coming up on this roadway and you just skip right over to New York. So I'm with you. A little bit of that yeah, like Napoleon complex, right? I think if people are into soccer, then Uruguay is totally on the map, sure. right? Because yep. it's actually, I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's the most... Uruguay's um, selección, as they call it, the national squad, is the most successful internationally in the world. Yeah, they've like they won used more to kill it way titles. back. Yep, yep. But even, and, well, and, and, and still, and, and now still. with the America's Cup, the Copa. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. It, it packs a punch. So just, I was I was seeing people, outside people of soccer, love it. outside of Iceland too. I, was it the last World Cup? You know, Iceland was the smallest country in the last World Cup. Obviously, it's Iceland, right? 200,000 people or something like that. I'm getting that number wrong. But then, you know, Uruguay, 
the Netherlands. Like you're talking about countries with really small populations who are powerhouses, which is which is pretty neat. And so you're saying, all right, so people don't usually know where Uruguay is, but what is it? What is it best known for? Like if people do know stuff about it, what do they usually know? Other than um, soccer, well, maybe. Um, marijuana legislation. Okay. Because being the first country in the world to actually completely legalize the whole process, the oh. government actually um, has taken control of the production right to the sales. In okay, didn't that is yeah, that's fascinating. Did not know that. Okay. Well, there you go. That's another. You know, we already said about Uruguay being a country with a lot of progressive legislation. Yeah, so Uruguay has always seen um, this kind of uh, issue not as a crime issue, but as a health issue. And so that goes back once again, the 1930s, a lot of people were dying because of drinking moonshine. And so the government said, all right, we are going to take control of the means of production and we are going to produce the whiskey. And they actually still do today. Really? So they're the only, are they the only ones allowed or? No, 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 no. And in fact, it's kind of like, it's, it's, uh, funnily enough. No, God, Uruguay. Well, there you go. This is a little known fact. Uruguay until recently topped the ranking of most whiskey consumption per capita. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. (laughs) They love drinking and they'll drink it in like a highball glass. It's at the older, the older Generation. The older folks. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, so how Uruguay has um, seen this kind of situation is, is as, a, as a, a sanitary issue, right? A health issue. And so today, even still, ANCAP, which is the Uruguayan company, ANCAP stands for the control. Um, what, what they do is they produce um, or refine gas, concrete, and alcohol. <laughs> wow. All right. I love that. So <laughs> and, and here, if you mix. go to a gas station, you'll see Ancap gas stations. Those are the nationally owned ones. And you know that they're producing your whiskey as well. All right. <laughs> but no, I mean, just to look. That, that <laughs> is really cool. So there, all right. So marijuana legislation, um, like we said, football, soccer. Um, also, I assume people or a lot of people know about the beaches, especially other South Americans who are traveling there? Locally. I mean, in in, um, South America, it's famous as a holiday destination. There's a a city on the coast called Punta del Este, which is kind of like the glamopus um, city here. And so that is high rises, a kind of, um, oh, I'm trying to think of a comparison that that works right now. I guess kind of like a Miami beach. Yeah, that's what uh, I've heard. Yeah, like a glitzy, like you go there to be seen and it's luxury and fancy and but because this is uruguay right and we we're not a tropical country we have four seasons it's a temperate country and so our um peak season so when people are going to be seen lasts from christmas day until the end of february and that's it so but you can go to the beach way longer than that you can start you know and so you, you can, the rest of the year, the beaches are totally deserted, which is amazing. All right, let's Absolutely talk about amazing. that then. We'll get, let's talk about itineraries because this is, 
you know, we've got an expert. You've been there 20 years. You've probably seen every part of that country. Best time to go. Like, is that when, like this shoulder season when there's no tourists or does it matter what you want to do? Well, yeah, it really matters what you want to do. Okay. What, um, what should people want to do in Uruguay then? Let's start with that. Like, give us the... That's important. We can do a a kind of 10-day itinerary and then maybe... And it doesn't have to be day by day. Don't I, I know you have it in your book and I know we don't have to go, you know, piece by piece. But if you're there for 10 days, which is for, for let's say, for Americans or a lot of people who would be coming, hey, I have two weeks off. I can get there, get home, 10 days. I want to see this country. And then we can you can give us some like if you want to dive deeper and you're coming for a month, don't miss this, you know, extra bits. Okay. Well, I would say that um there are four main elements to uh having a great experience here. And you can take all of them or take one of them, depending on your preferences. And so I've, I've two guidebooks. One is to Montevideo, the capital. And so that's all about music and culture. Then I have a guidebook to Uruguay and I have focused it on what travelers here really want to experience. And that is beaches, ranches, and wine country. Oh, okay. So I right. would say, all right. So you got the capital, you got Montevideo as, as, one beaches as two ranches and then wine country in no particular order but those are the four things all right exactly. i'm liking how this vacation's shaping up already all right <laughs> so i mean if you are a beach person you'll really want to come between late november and april um, April, actually, that's the end of our season by that point. And that's actually when the water is the warmest because it's been warming up all the way through the, the summertime. Is the air warm enough that like if you swim, you can then be on the beach still usually in April or does it get a bit chilly? Well, it depends. Yeah. Um, and here, like I said, we've got the, you know, the four seasons, t temperate climate. So just think of, you know, somewhere in where would be comparative, maybe somewhere like um, North Carolina, something okay. like that. Fun Might fact, be. we just bought a house in North Carolina because of the climate. So it's our own, it's our Uruguay in the U.S. It's our, it's our, there you go. we're getting closer <laughs> and closer. We're actually, and we're coming south. We're getting closer, just a little further down to see you, you know? Okay, so there we go. that's a good, that's a good, all right, North Carolina-ish. All right. Okay, so you could get bad weather, um, but of in my 20 years being here, my experience is, okay, if you get unlucky enough to get rain, after four days, it's going to end. Yeah. And it's not going to be, you know, like hard rain all the time anyway. But in, and the same thing in the wintertime, if you came here in the wintertime, if you've got four days of rain again, then the sun's going to come out. And then assuming you're out of the wind, you're going to be in a beautiful sun trap. And so, so, you know, that works, that works just fine. So yeah, the beaches... I would say that um, the beaches here, like I said, are deserted most of the year. And even if you come in high season, then you, you can always get far enough from the crowd 
to be able to be on a bit of beach by yourself. You want to give a, you want to give our listeners a little hidden gem? Do you have one of like I trust us we won't overrun your your private little beach, but there's got to be one, right? Like Punta del Este, okay, boom, everyone knows this. Do you have like a town or a or a beach area that you say this is where I would show my friends who are coming to just have like a kickback, relaxed, awesome time without the crowds? Any place any beach between, and as long as you don't go between December 24th and January 10th, then the rest of the time you're always going to find space on a beach, regardless of the populous, the popularity of the beach. I was going to say to you that um, Uruguay actually only gets less than a quarter of a million travelers from the US and Europe. So it's Amazing. kind of like a secret anyway, right? I, totally. Like a- I mean, that that was going to be my question. One of the questions I had is like, what are the most common visitors? And as you mentioned, it's neighboring neighboring countries. It's, they're mainly Argentinians. So we get up to, um, pro- I think it's just over 2 million Argentinians. But our tourism numbers in total, like the boom years have been 4 million people. And that's throughout the year. So really, it's never crowded. I like here. it. I, I mean, people, that's why I people like say it. to me, do I need do I need to book in a restaurant? I'm like, no. I mean, there's maybe like one restaurant, which is the one that Anthony Bourdain made famous, right? That's the only one mainly. What about to, that, okay, what about then hotels and stuff? Book ahead or or like what if it is peak season? December like Chris they peak say Peak season can, definitely. Definitely. Okay. Peak season definitely, without a doubt. And um the prices can, can get really high. I mean, which is why, given that your travelers are interested in bargains, I would never recommend them coming in the peak season. I go into all these details in my in my um, my guidebook. In fact, I even took a screenshot from a hotel. I anonymized it, of course, but from their price page, their tariffs. And you will literally see that in that period that I was talking about of the peak peak, I mean, the price is quadruple. I'm not joking. And and when we're talking peak peak, we're talking Christmas through mid January as like peak. Um, peak peak is the Christmas to New Year week. Okay. And then peak is until January 10th, and then until uh, end of January February. Okay, so anytime, you know, bef- anytime. Let's to play it safe before mid December and after and in. No, 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 no. I mean. No, Even up until to Christmas? literally December 24th. Okay, you could right. leave on December 24th right, okay. and get great bargains. Still. All right. Get home in time That's for Christmas. All right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. I like that. So then, and is that peak for, for the country as a whole because, or is it just peak for the beach area? Beaches. Okay. Beaches. Okay. Is there a peak time for the, like, for going to Montevideo or, or going to a ranch or wine country? Or is that just kind of... Um, Uruguayans tend to go to ranches or estancias, as they're called here, during the uh, school holidays in winter. It's a winter thing for them. So they'll the rest of the year, you really kind of get your choice. So we're just literally talking about a two-week period in July that Uruguayans are going to be like packing out the estancias. The rest of the time, you're pretty much going to have your pick. Although the ones that are popular now, you know, they're small. They are small ranches. And so the, you, you would want to book ahead with, with one if you really want to go to that particular 
particular one. I always say to people, if you choose to go to the interior, I would definitely recommend not rushing it. Uruguay is a very laid back country. Um, in fact, you know, never go to a restaurant already hungry. You want to make sure that you go and, you know, you're there with time to kind of like wait to be attended and then wait for the food to come. People don't rush things here. And so the same thing with seeing the country, I would not recommend rushing around trying to pack everything in because that wouldn't be a way of experiencing Uruguay authentically. You want to be able to sit and relax. And so going to the, to the interior, to an Estancia, I always, I mean, I've talked to a lot of Estancia owners and they tell me that the ideal minimum is um, four days, three nights. So, because the first day you're getting there. Now, the, often Estancias can be in the interior. So people from the US, sure, they're used to driving a long way. So I'm th I've got more of a British mindset when I think about a long drive. But you can have estancias from like an hour and a half away from Montevideo or like, well, the furthest away. The other border with Brazil in the north is a seven hour drive away. So sure, by U.S. standards, it's all pretty small. Right. But okay. I mean, you don't you don't want to waste your precious time driving. Right. And so, would you recommend driving? So that's another question. Transportation. Would you recommend someone rent a car and travel going that to way? the interior? Um, not necessarily. If you, because if you're just going to go, what happens normally with these ranches? Because they're often so isolated that you'll be there the entire time. You'll have full board there. And there'll be lots of activities like going out and um, going horse riding hanging out with the gauchos uh, who, who work there, helping with you. Well, there are all sorts of things that you can do. There are other ranches, of course, that are more luxurious with um, <laughs> yeah. pools. And Quote, things. unquote, so ranch, but it's like a resort. And more like a country on a hotel. Ranch. Yep, okay. Exactly. In my Guruguay guide to beaches, ranches, and wine country, I've actually got um, this matrix where I go through seven different ranches that are totally different one from the other. And I kind of like, if you're interested in going with kids, this one and oh, this one, perfect. if you want, if you're a vegetarian, you want this one. I, I people love, love that matrix. that's the best when guidebooks do that because you know, you, you can sit there and do all the research you want, but you don't really know. I love when someone says, if you're this type of traveler or you want this experience, pick this. If you want, you know, because that's, that's what we want. Like, you know, better and you know what's going to fit. And so I can say, oh, here are the seven that she recommends. But seven's still a lot if you're not giving that tip of this is best for these types of people. All right. So right, you're going, exactly. So you're going to a ranch so, for four days, three nights minimum. You're hanging out there, kind of relaxing. Yeah, is you, wine country driving, near there? So there is... Um, Uruguay is basically an Atlantic country where wine is concerned, which is really interesting because it's compared a lot to Bordeaux, which is an Atlantic province in France. But the whole country is Atlantic where wine production is concerned in Uruguay. So we have wine regions all over the country. But touristically at the moment, the main areas are Montevideo, 
if you can imagine, the capital actually yeah. has wineries there. Oh, that's so, neat. That's I isn't like that. Cool? Yeah, that's really cool. And just outside in Canelones, which is the um, we call them the provinces or states here departments. It's in the department which hugs Montevideo. So Canelones as well. So Montevideo and Canelones, that's like the biggest wine growing area currently. But we also have a very nice one in Carmelo, which is on the west coast of Montevideo. And so you can combine that. It's it's super easy then in that case. You could literally like go to wineries, be in Montevideo and go to wineries. Or you could go to wine country, stay in a, in a hotel and then visit around there. Carmelo is really nice because you literally, it's so small, you can literally cycle from one winery to the next. You are speaking then, my language here. All right. Yeah. So then... Okay, so it could you so you can do day trips to wineries. Could you do a day trip to Carmelo and come back to Montevideo? No, or would you? No, you would you'd stay want out to there. stay there. Yeah. No, okay. if you're going to do a day trip in Montevideo, you'd go to a a, um, a winery in Montevideo. In, gotcha. You can literally like there's there's um, there's a fantastic premium winery that I love called Los Nadies. It's a garage winery basically, but Manuel Filgueira, the owner does really, really kind of complex, sophisticated wines. And you can actually go there and do a tasting with him in his house slash garage slash winery. So that's literally like if you're in the center of Montevideo, you're taking a cab 10 minutes away and you're there with Manuel, right? Oh, perfect. All right. So if we're if we're tying in this itinerary, let's say someone wants to do all four of these elements, right? And they have, they have, let's say, let's give them a little more than 10 days. Let's give them 12 days, right? Their boss is really nice, gives them some time. Oh, God. Yeah, you, I know. You, you, you US's. I'm saying tongue in cheek because <laughs> thankfully I don't have to do deal with that. But a lot of people do. So if they have 12 days, you could say, all right, a couple days at the beach. Let's say three days at the beach. Let's say three nights. Let's say three nights at the beach, three nights at the ranch, three or four nights in Montevideo, one or two days out in Carmelo. That's kind of a decent overview of what someone might want to do. Is that does that sound feasible? Okay. Well, we didn't talk about Montevideo. Right. I, I and I this. love cities. Like even if I don't all I love, love, love livable cities. And without ever having been there, and I'll tell you one of the reasons I always said Uruguay was my favorite, you know, my favorite country without being there. And Slovenia as well is because I saw Ljubljana in Slovenia. I was like, this seems so livable, like a cool, smaller city that has everything you want, but isn't, you know, New York isn't isn't crazy. Like, I don't want to live in a big, crazy city. I want it's like smaller cousin city. So you have Buenos Aires compared to Montevideo. And so Montevideo always seemed to me like that livable, like it's a lifestyle city. Am I right? Totally. All right. Totally, totally. And it, yeah, and it's small enough that you can get around on foot. And we've got 10 beaches here. So, you know, like just strung along this rambler that I'm telling you about and beautiful architecture. Nowadays, great gourmet scene as well, which is a new. I mean, we've always had really good ingredients. Um, there are actually almost four cows to every human being in okay. Uruguay. So you eat a lot of beef, um, I guess. A lot of beef. We eat a lot of beef. 
we've always had these great ingredients. Um, Uruguay is very pure air statistically as well. And so people say when they come here, oh my God, these tomatoes really taste like tomatoes. So I, I experienced a, that in the country of Georgia, in the Republic of Georgia. Like I, we were eating vegetables and people told me I would, they're like, you're going to have vegetables, but it's not going to be like you're used to. They're just going to slice up a tomato and you're going to eat it. And you're going to sit there and think like, what is different? And it's just that it's so fresh and it's just, yeah, it's just the perfect place to grow that. So I get what you're saying. Cause I had heard that and I thought, eh, sure, I guess. And then I, we had it and we we're like, no, this, this is true. This makes sense. Yeah. It just tastes different. Well, so there's been, so we've always had the good basic ingredients, but cuisine has been really simple up until about five, six, seven and in some cases longer, they, those have been the, the trailblazers years ago. And so really um, nowadays in Montevideo, especially and along the coastline, but during um, the summer season, I mean, that's important to note, not, not all the time, because a lot of restaurants just will just open for the summer season. But there you're going to be able to eat really, really well. And so and Montevideo is also, I mean, I haven't talked about the music and the culture here, which is everywhere. I always say that in Montevideo, you lift a stone and a world-class musician crawls out. You know, it's, it's really the, the level of um, music here is amazing. And you can go to a small bar. It's super. It's like the entrance fee will be less than $10 and you'll be knee to knee with an amazing musician. And then the whole Uruguay um, has the world's longest carnival. We share that with Cologne, apparently, in Germany. But the difference is, and when I say Uruguay, there are carnivals throughout the country, country but the longest one, the 49er, is in Montevideo. And so all year round, the carnival groups are practicing for that. And so... One night, you are going to be out on the street in Montevideo, or you're going to be sitting in a bar, and suddenly a group of drummers and dancers is going to be passing by. Even in the winter, they're going to be processing by. I went out for a walk a few nights ago. It was uh, dark. I think it was Sunday night. And we were on the Rambler looking across the water, and we can hear the noise of the drums rising from the city in front of us a procession was going through the streets. They're practicing for carnival. And so that I think is just amazing. You can, so you can either come for carnival, which is a really local experience. Only the Argentinians have discovered it up until now. It's not a touristy and thing. Dates at of all. that or when, when are the dates? They, it starts, um, the last week of January goes all through February and then it depends on if there have been rain checks or not, but it normally you can get the tail end the first week of March as well. But before that, you've got rehearsals as well. So December and January, there are rehearsals going on that, that are open to the public to attend. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, then sounds like to me, if you're, if someone wants this whole experience, they want the, the like immersive Uruguayan experience, but they want all four things they should come in that shoulder season, basically end of January, February into March. So you can get the beach, you can get the ranches, 
You can get the wine because the wine in Montevideo, the city are there all year. Um, but that's when it's most vibrant or at least, you know, well, has carnival me, happening. You asked me to put things into 12 days. And so I think that I would say, um, depending on your interests, I would say, you know, four nights for the beaches, four nights for an estancia, and then four nights for Montevideo slash wineries or doing some changes there. I mean, estancia can also be the three nights there, we could say, right? And we could have five, five nights for Montevideo slash wineries. And so that could be wineries that are outside of Montevideo, or it could be going, for example, to Carmelo or staying in Canelones to the wine country there. It, when you're saying to stick to, to that period, I think it really depends on if you're a kind of like go to the beach to lie in the sun person. Or if you're a, I love to walk on deserted beaches, because that's any time of year. I mean, literally, I just in my, on one of my social media, a memory came up and I was at the beach a couple of years ago. And like, I just remember that we were there for several days. It was, we were wearing our coats because it was, you know, it was nippy because we were in a house right on the coast. But we went for the longest, most wonderful treks along the beaches. And if we were beside the rocks, we were stripping down to our T-shirts. And British people go in the water, let me tell you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> what, what is the coldest it gets there then? Like what in the winter, what uh, will it get down to? Well, if we're talking about Montevideo and the coast, so it's tempered by the... We'll never... During the day, oh my God, this is where I'm hopeless with degrees Fahrenheit. No, just give me Can Celsius, you I'll help centigrade? you. Yeah, I'll help you. Okay. Um, it's, it won't go um, below five okay. in, the, yeah, so in, talking... in the early hours. And during the day, it's about normally 16 or 17. Okay, cool. So we're talking so low, it's quite of, high. low of low 40s, high of like... Yeah. In the, in the, in the morning, 60s, first yeah. thing in the morning. Yep. Okay. I think we're talking about higher, actually, but... 60, yeah, 65-ish, um, yeah, 70. Reach. I used to be yeah. really good when I lived in Japan. I've been rusty. It's been, it's been like seven years, but I can get close enough, you know? 16 yeah, is so nice, sunny and warm. 16, yeah. 17. Now, the thing is, is like I said, the humidity means that you want to bring layers because... People like see those people from the north see those temperatures and they're like sandals. <laughs> that would be and me. No, <laughs> that is no, me. no. You need you need to bring layers. In fact, a tip: always bring layers here. Yeah. Okay. Because the sun goes out. You wanna you, you don't want to get sick while you're while you're here, and the weather changes a lot. What then? So we're talking. What about cost for for people coming to Uruguay? Like what? What can you compare it to? I, I don't know if you have a comparison to what it would cost to travel there compared to a European uh, destination or whether you can just give us straight numbers of, hey, if you go out to like a decent meal, here's what it'll run you. Here's what a hotel will run you, you know, like a mid-level hotel. Like, what are we looking at? Okay, well, flights down here depend a lot on where you're coming from, etc. You can get deals in certain times of the year from Miami from about $700, I think. Um, 
then uh, eating out is comparatively cheap for the quality. Um, people, let, let's see, let's give you an idea. At the moment, $1 is about 41 Uruguayan pesos uh, $2. And so it's comparatively cheap at the moment to be eating. You could have, I would say, like $20, $30, and $35, and you're going to be able to eat out at a really good restaurant here with wine mm. for one person. Okay. People tell me that in New York, they'd be paying five times the amount. Right, right. So you're talking like, hey, you're going on a date night or or like, or you just want like a, you're saying, I'm going to go to one of the better restaurants or one of the best restaurants. I can get in and out for probably 35 bucks a person um, for most of the, those. The curious thing is, is that there's not a really big difference between the high end and the low end restaurants here compared to other countries. So in a low-end restaurant, you're likely to be paying um, now between, like, say, about $8 for, for, um, for a meal. To give you an idea, a glass of wine, which is an important thing, right, or That's a bottle of one wine. one of the best metrics, for sure. You can get a great bottle of wine here for $8 to $10, a great bottle of wine. And in a restaurant, it's not going to be a huge amount more. Mm, that's the key, right? That's that's right. the key. That's the key. Because yeah, that's where that's where Heather and I always get in arguments. I'm like, but it's so cheap if you go buy the store. She says, well, I want to have it with my meal, and I'm thinking they just charge you three times more, four times more. Like, just hold out, you know, my cheap brain there. No, no, there's um, there's okay. there's not a huge difference, which is really nice. The same thing with wine tastings here. An average wine tasting, which is really like generous pours, a ton of time usually with the wine owners or the winemakers, what would be a VIP trip in the U.S. can cost like 35 bucks. Okay. Yeah. For like yeah, an experience, like a real for an experience. experience. In fact, I always say to people, if you go wine tasting, do one winery a day here. <laughs> Max right. two. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you're going to be there. Like, you're going to be there two, three hours. All right. So they're not giving you little sips mm, and then saying, mm. eat this cracker and, and have another sip. No. No, no, no. Generous uh, pause. Generous right. pause. Guys, Karen is like in my head. She knows my checkbox of what I want out of a place to travel. And I feel like it's just going check, check, check. Like, I can't think of anything that I like out of traveling to a destination or even honestly like living or, or, or long-term traveling, slow traveling to a destination that you haven't mentioned. We talk about a good food scene, like not too expensive, but a thriving new, like inventive food scene, good music, beaches, walkable city, winery, you know, just this vibe of people wanting to like enjoy life and spend time relaxing and not always go, go, go. Man, it's... Whew, I guess I was right. I can't. I mean, I'm gonna have to come and see it for myself. But well, you know what? I think you're having your Karen with the street sign moment. Yeah, I, I, I mean, uh, Uruguay was on your list. It, 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 it and you really had no was. Idea why. No, I mean, it was like you know, I did enough research to say, hey, this has like I knew you had great coastline. Obviously, I knew Montevideo was was like a cool. You know, I've seen the architecture in a cool city, but obviously, I had never dove into it the way that we dove into it today really pulling out the details. And I just said, this seems to me like 
it hits all the check boxes, right? You know, I want to be, I mean, almost kind of similar, like before I'd ever been to Barcelona, same thing. I'm like, well, this seems like a city I'm going to love because it has the, like the things that it does well are the things that I like. Um, yeah. And can and, I, can I add something? Yeah, of course. Okay. And this, this is not to plug my books. Okay. I, well, I'm um, going to get your books immediately as soon as we finish the podcast. <laughs> but the only problem I have with it is I'm going to be reading it saying, when can I come? Like, I'm going to, it'll, it'll make me feel a little sad actually, but I'm going to check it out for sure. Okay. So plug those I books because I'm plugging them. Okay. But it's not to plug the books precisely, but I want to say that Uruguay is a slightly hermetic country regarding finding your way around and to what's the best. It's why I started the website and the guidebooks. Because, I mean, I'm telling you that there's a great gourmet scene in Montevideo, but there are also restaurants, uh, probably the majority, that are not great. And you, And so it's really important to have a good guide really important there. I would say more so than in a lot of other countries, because otherwise, if you just stroll into a place, chances are, a stroll into a restaurant, chances are you may not have the best experience, which is why it took me a year to write my Beaches, Ranches and Wine Country book, because I really, I mean, like I go and I check every place out and I don't put every place in. It's really, it's really highly curated. And the reason is because um, tourism here is, is, you know, it's developing and it's getting, it's definitely like moving ahead, but still a, a good guide is, is essential. Okay. I, and, and that's so important, I think. For I don't want any, people to be disappointed. Yeah. For any kind of under the radar, hidden gem destination, you're going to come and you're going to, you know, like it because you, it is off the beaten path. And so your experiences won't be like, oh, I'm around all these other tourists. But like you mentioned, if you want to make sure you have the good meal and you want to make sure, you, you know, it's not as readily available as if you go to a Barcelona or a Paris or whatever, you know, where you just know a where thousand you go people into, have you written run about into it. any place. Exactly. Right. You could ask exactly. anyone on the street, hey, what's the best place? And they'll tell you because, you know, because there's a thousand travelers there ready to tell you. And similar to our experience when we were in Myanmar, the, the probably the hardest country we've traveled through other than India. Now, obviously, it's less developed than Uruguay. But same thing is that we didn't have anyone there to guide us. So we had these cool off the beaten path experiences. But then we had these crappy off the beaten path experiences and we're not saying that everything has to be perfect but we're also saying like we had so many days right yeah right you don't want to waste 12 meals waste one or two because you decided to stroll into something and 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 it wasn't the best but don't do it every day and so i'm with you like that's the key to having a successful off the beaten path, either an on the ground guide, like when we were in the Republic of Georgia, we had a driver. And so that opened up a world of opportunities, you know, or a guidebook like you have that is like, all right, I know this person has curated it. I, I know that. Um, speaking of crappy experiences, last question I want to ask you before I let you go here. Biggest travel mishap. We got to end on this. I'm sure, I mean, you sang in a 60s psychedelic rock band. I'm sure you've got some crazy experiences. What is your biggest travel mishap? It was arriving in Mexico City Airport when I was 21 years old to embark 
on a backpacking trip with my roommate and finding that she wasn't at the airport. And so I spent the entire day sitting, waiting for her to appear. And when she didn't appear, I went uh, to spend the night at a hostel. And then I went back the next day to the airport because I thought maybe I got the date. This is pre-internet, obviously. Um, I thought I must have got the wrong day. But I spent from nine till 12 the next day sitting on in the airport and she didn't appear. And I'm like, I guess I'm in this by myself. So did she bail on you? Like she just never even showed up? It was a classic story of Chinese whispers. Um, my, we had, we had made a plan and this is pre-internet. So it's all letters, right? Snail mail. Um, we, we had talked about when we both graduated that she was, she was living in Mexico city at the time. And so when I graduated, I'm like, you know, wow, it would be amazing to come and visit you. And she's like, yeah, you must. So when, um, we were coming to refine the details, I actually had just graduated and I'm like, I'm not sticking around the UK any longer. And so I went off hitchhiking to France but leaving a message with my mum saying, mum, Beth's parent, Beth live, was from California. Beth's um, parents are going to call you and they are going to say to you when Beth is going to be in Mexico City Airport, the date she's going to be there to meet me or Guatemala City Airport to meet me. You need to write down the, the days and I will be there one of those days. And so they're like, okay, fine. And then Beth gets the message from her parents when she calls. So she calls them because she doesn't have a phone in Mexico City. She calls her parents and she says, so what did Karen say? And they say, oh, Karen wasn't there because she's gone to France. Okay, so, so so no, so, like, oh, but you, she wants to meet up, pick this but, date. Yeah, but she's going to get back, and then she's going right. to come and meet you. Yeah, it was like, Karen's gone to, the message that Beth got was, Karen's gone to France. So she took off. So she wasn't even in Mexico by the time I landed in Mexico City. But that was the start of my love affair with Latin America. Because I just, like, I'm like, well, I'm here. You know, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back home. No way. No way am I going to go back home. No, Beth, and no so, worries. You're just going to live life right. and you're going to eventually be in Uruguay and start a life there. Who knew? That's Man. right. So, yeah, that was that was it. So I ended up, instead of being a month in Mexico and Guatemala with Beth, I actually ended up finding her back in California three months later after having spent three wonderful months in Mexico and deciding that um, I was going to be learning Spanish and not French in the future and that I was going to be coming back to Latin America. There you go. Do you, do you still stay in contact with Beth to this day or no? Totally. All right. Totally. All right. Totally. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Uh, bring it full circle. She's, has she come and visited you? In Montevideo? Um, no, no, oh. she hasn't. And I'm very annoyed with her. But her daughter came f to do her um, 
uh, uh, her year out to Montevideo and her program didn't understand. Like Sarah Lawrence was like, why do you want to go to Uruguay? <laughs> right. The so same. Full circle, right? Full circle, full circle. Yeah, what you have to do is you got to get Beth to come visit you. You got to, she has to show up at the airport and, you, and you're not going to be there. That's, and I that's, leave that has, I ghost her. That's right. That, I, I thought you were in France. <laughs> Sorry, Beth. Um, awesome. Well, what do you have coming up in the pipeline then, Karen? Because you talked about your books. And I do believe, I think we mentioned this right before we hopped on here, that one of the books has an audio book version now so people can listen to it. Is that right? Yes, very exciting because people tell me that reading my guidebooks are, I mean, guidebook authors tell me my guidebooks are very unusual guidebooks and very unique. And they do their job of, it's like sitting down with a friend and she tells you all of the cool things that you need to know and, and, and suggest places and thing and people to meet. Um, and so based on that, I thought that an audio book would be the next best thing. Instead of being on paper, now I'm going to be in people's ears. So the audio, the Uruguay Guide to Montevideo just came out and is available on all, you know, Amazon, Audible, nice. iTunes. All right. Yeah, very but, Well, this was like a dry run. I mean, if this is any indication of how awesome your audiobook version of the guidebook is, I mean, we've had you here for an hour. It is like sitting down with your best friend That's and saying right. like, show me, tell me. Like, not just that I read it, but that I hear it. And it's kind of like immersive, you know, hearing your voice talk about it and you're, the inflection of getting excited and all that kind of stuff. So it's been a true treat, uh, Karen, to have you on. And uh, I just want to say thanks so much for joining me today. Shining a light on one of the, what I consider one of the most fascinating countries in the world. I'm sure you do as well. I mean, you've lived there for 20 years. It's just so neat to finally, I, I mean, I don't even know when I wrote that about page. Well, I know when I wrote the first one, 2012. I would say probably 2010 was when, when Uruguay first came onto my radar and I just said like, I want to go there. So 10 years later, Finally getting that to That was the World dive. Cup, I assume. Was it the World uh, Cup? Yes. In South Africa? Yes, yes. And so that's probably what really kicked it off. And so 10 years later, I got to deep dive, indulge my travel fantasies with you. So thank you so much for coming on. Tell people where they can go to find you, grab the guidebooks, all that good stuff. Well, I would say to... No, actually, before, before I forget, I actually have a free gift for your listeners. Perfect. All right. We didn't even discuss this. Karen, throwing in <laughs> a little extra. All right. Go ahead. All right. So, yes, I have a, the, it's called the Guru Guía. Guía means guide in Spanish. And it's actually a new little bilingual guide that we're putting out of our favorite places in Uruguay. And you can down your listeners can download it for free. And there on the same page, they're actually going to find all the places to um, check out the website, the guidebooks, the audiobook, join our social media. We have a really cool Facebook group actually called Discover Uruguay, which is I, I like this. It's a really nice, friendly Facebook group, if you can believe that they exist. There's a few of them out there, right? Yeah, like heavily unicorns. moderated. There you go. <laughs> nice. Heavily so moderated. How can so, people find that? 
So they need to go to Guruguay. So Uruguay with a G at the front, guruguay.com slash peanuts. All right. There you guys go. You already set it up for us. I didn't even know. That's awesome. Thank you, Karen. And I'm going to be checking that out. Um, I am. I'm a little nervous that I'm going to get so excited that, it, that it's going to be like, I'm going to be like, Heather, kids, sorry, I'm hopping on a plane. I hope they don't turn me away at the border. As long as Karen meets me at the airport, I'll be fine. But we know Karen's track record of meeting people at the airport. She might not be there. Um, uh, no, I have a good, I have a good right. track record. That's right. It's All my right. friend. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. We will link that up in the show notes. But remember, it's Guru Gua, Guru Gua, You said it. <laughs> guruguy.com slash peanuts guruguy.com slash peanuts we'll link it up in the show notes you can get that by going to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash shows everyone thank you for tuning in i you know i would have done this with karen on my own if no one was listening and no one ever listened i still would have made her sit down and talk to me about it but it's awesome that thousands and tens of thousands of you guys will listen and um yeah if you guys do if this is now like at the top of your travel wish list Ping us, ping Karen, ping me, put us in a social Please. media thing. Let us know um, because, you know, I need some ammunition to talk Heather into letting me go down there or going as a, as a family. And I know Karen would be super happy to hear from you guys as well. So thank you guys for the support. Thank you for listening. Thank you again, Karen. Uh, it was awesome. And uh, until next time, everyone, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris and all.